Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to incredible people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Kate Friesen loves telling stories. She's been doing it her entire life in nearly every career she's had, from singer-songwriter to documentarian with the CBC, and especially now as the driving force behind the story source. Kate's been a key trainer in the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch events over the last few years and frequently works with businesses and nonprofits to help them find and tell their stories through facilitation and coaching. I think the important thing to know is that following your heart doesn't mean doing just anything you want, and it's not a self-centered thing. All of us are here on this earth for a purpose, so you're listening for that. So it's not a selfish following your heart. It's listening to what do I have to give, because that's also what I'm going to be getting. I sat down with Kate to talk about the power of story, the challenge of vulnerability, and the importance of finding your calling, whatever that may be. Kate Friesen, thank you for joining us on the Because and Effect podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Nice to be here. We've, We've done a couple interviews in the past. They've been a little bit different format, you know, more kind of 10 minute in and out conversations, but this is an opportunity to go a little bit deeper and and learn a bit more about what makes you tick and what causes you care about and why and how you kind of got to this position. So my first question is, um, you're a storyteller. At what point in your life did you first recognize the the power that a story has to to change minds or to to change the world? So my first, well, my second career my first, which was kind of a, mm-hmm. a very short one. My second career uh, was as a singer-songwriter. And um, I loved telling stories in between songs. And I also um, loved uh, telling stories within songs. And I, I loved the spark that happened when I, when I shared that with other people. So what's a story if you don't have a listener? And I think in those moments uh, where people would come back to me afterwards and say, the story you told about, or when I heard that song or that story, it made me think of. So when it made a connection with somebody else on a heart level, um, I knew that it was a really, um, really powerful thing. Has that always been your goal with art is to make that connection with with the audience? I think if I follow the thread, through uh, most of my careers, and there's been quite a few, I would say the thread has always been connection. And the strongest way that I have learned to connect, that I've witnessed and experienced, is through story. Mm-hmm. So when it was as a performer, it was through songs and through telling stories between songs. It was making people laugh, making people think. When I moved on to work at CBC, it was um, being a learning how to respectfully and in a vibrant way, tell other people's stories in order to make connections to individuals and also to systems or to, uh, to issues. And, um, and then now when I'm doing the work, which is teaching people to discover and tell their own stories, it's, it's giving people the tools to make those connections. So at the mm-hmm. root of it all is, is being connected, which I think is actually, um, you know, we've been telling stories for thousands of thousands of years and um and i recently did a something called a story harvest 
with uh, a nonprofit organization that works uh, with people who are fairly marginalized. And what I did is I interviewed clients of that organization and coached them and brought uh, brought the the clients, told their story to the staff, Mm -hmm. and we're looking for themes. And at the root of it all, the themes were safety and belonging. Actually, belonging was first and then safety. Mm -hmm. So what do we value? We value belonging and we want to be safe. So story in that way is a way that we build that connectedness and belonging. And the safety part is, who's my tribe? Mm -hmm. So through story, we make the connections and we build trust. And in that way, we all need both those things, belonging and safety, in order to thrive. It doesn't matter if it's it's you or somebody who's struggling with homelessness or somebody who's facing uh, other big barriers. I think there's now a understanding, at least um, in the sort of conscious level of society, that to be able to enact change, you need to tell the right stories. Um, Has it always been that way, do you think? Or do you think people are just starting to wake up to that uh, reality? Stories stories kind of uh, having its really cool moment right now. It's hot. You hear that word so frequently, yeah. like in filmmaking yeah. and everything. It's all in advertising. It's all about that telling that story. In business, in nonprofits, um, I think it's always been there. Um, if you're asking me, I think it's a really powerful tool. Um, it's one tool. It's mm-hmm. not the be all and end all, and it's not the um, uh, the antidote for for everything. But we've got to balance. Um, story is a great way to spark a connection and, and, and to communicate. And then you need a strategy in order to make change. And I think right now, and I think what you're referring to is we need some pretty big changes in our systems um, right now. And I think people are seeing story as a powerful tool to connect with other people, bring them on board to make change. Yeah, story alone can't be the, it can be the catalyst for yes. change, but yeah. it can't be the 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 only thing that creates systemic yeah. change. And kind of, and story is, is I, I've felt this a lot in the work we do with the foundation. If someone trusts you to tell their story, that's a profound, that's a connection very unlike anything else that we have as humans to kind of bring us together. So as a documentary maker and audio podcast and everything like that, how important and how valuable and how necessary is the trust that you have that when, when someone comes to you to, and trusts you to tell their story and, and how like sacred is that connection with another, I mean, with another person? Uh, it's a profound privilege. And when I worked in radio documentary, um, I spent hours and hours more than I probably should have and maybe some sleepless nights in order to figure out how best to tell the story. Because with any story that you tell, you need to frame it. Because you only have uh, even a feature doc Sunday edition, for instance, at CBC would have been 20 minutes. So if I'm telling the story of um, of somebody else and and, and a profound change that's happened to them, I feel that that responsibility as well Mm -hmm. as the privilege. Um, 
one of the one of the things that I've done since then in my in my work beyond beyond documentary making is how uh, and, and I both teach people and when I occasionally do tell stories I oh there's a couple of steps that I always take and I and I think it um, reflects that sense of responsibility and and one of them is now that I'm out of journalism I I, I don't have this the same set of rules mm-hmm. is I is is I tell the story back to somebody like they've agreed to share their story for a particular cause I go okay did I get it right and I tell it back to them and they go but I really don't want that part in it okay well then let's shift that because it's it, it's a it's a respectful thing and their story is going out in, into the world and I think one of the ways to really get the feeling of what that's like is when somebody asks you about your story and I'm not going to do that right now <laughs> thank you but one of the first things that I do when I work with story training is the first story you need to know is and be able to tell is a story about yourself. Because in the work that people are often doing, they're asking other people to share their stories mm-hmm. all the time. And, sh- and, and that story is precious and it can be a currency and it can be an asset. Mm-hmm. Depending on what you're working yeah, at, when sure. I when I do when I do story for business, I talk about this their stories being their their incredible assets. And when you tell uh, stories with within the nonprofit, um, that that story belongs to somebody. It is a currency, though. Yeah. I see what you what you mean by that. Is has there ever been a story or a documentary you've worked on that still resonates with you today? Yeah, I just need a second. No to problem. Think about Take it all the time. Which one that would be? <laughs> it's well, been a long time since yeah. I did radio docs. I did a couple of documentaries for Tapestry on CBC, and uh, one of them actually, um, the the hook was my own story of making the transition from being a musician to to radio. And my question was, um, what is your calling? And do you have a calling, or how do you find it, and how do you lose it? And in the process, I had two main characters. uh, a woman who had really felt like she found her calling and um, and she was actually moving into um, a kind of priesthood with, within a particular African tradition. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time, wow. so I'm not going to like get any mm-hmm. more specific. And a Jesuit priest who had lost his calling and left the, um, left the church. Okay. And uh, being able to tell those two stories and then balance it against my own question about my own calling was a really profound experience. Um, so both a privilege and I learned a ton. Well, that's myself. not the, that's not the only time you've pivoted careers, right? From no. So that takes courage. Um, what was the hardest part about finding your own calling and, and deciding to change careers multiple times? Like, where does that come from? How does, what motivates you to do that? Um, I think it might be a little bit of my personality that mm. I don't, <laughs> I usually last about 12 years in a career, but sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes it's longer. And also, you know, the longer you live and I'm a little older than you too, um, the more you have that chance to, to shift. But I would say that what I, um, one, one of the, um, one of the quotes that really resonates with me, and I can only paraphrase because I'm not good at specific, at, at mm-hmm. direct quotes. No, that's fine. Is by Frederick Buchner. And the paraphrase is, your calling is that place where your deep joy and the world's deep need meet. Ooh. And that has been my compass and my guide. And I have found that 
within every career that I've done. And when I feel like it's not happening anymore, then I need to have some good, honest conversations with myself about where that deep joy might be. What changes then? Is the joy starting to dissipate or is it the fact that the need might be filled a little bit or both? Um, it's been interesting. Most, most of the time it's been an inward shift, but with CBC is the only place that I worked at that where I wasn't self-employed. Right. Mm. Oh, okay. So when you're working in a large corporation, um, that there can also be where are the places that I can uh, be aligned. And for me, that value alignment alignment, and I know it's, it's there for you Mm -hmm. too, in the work that you do, um, was often there with CBC, but there was often things beyond my control in terms of where I could land. Makes sense. Um, did you have a mentor guiding you? Like you seem like t- to be someone who's now coaching and who's now probably mentoring a lot of different people. Uh, did you have someone that kind of guided you through this or were you just figuring it out? I, I have a strong network of, oh. of, uh, of colleagues and friends who, who speak that language of joy and need. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a great place. I hope that everybody has that place where they can, they can do that kind of reflecting. Um, so different people have stepped up at, at, at different points to, to mentor me and, and be there. What's the best part about now you stepping into that role and helping people adjust and figure out their own stories and figure out their own calling? Um, well, there's a couple of things. One of, uh, one of the best parts, um, when I worked at CBC, I, I ended up working in leadership, which was great. And I learned a lot that I can bring now into the work that I'm doing. But I also ended up behind the desk a lot on the computer and on the phone or in meetings. So I would say that I was an indoor cat. <laughs> and when I left CBC, I've become an outdoor cat. So one day I'm here meeting a bunch of cool folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yesterday I, I, I met a whole group of people working in a very innovative business. And three days ago, I was with uh, a new U of M leadership program uh, with 27 upcoming leaders and uh, working with them on story. So my uh, I feel the best part is that I'm connecting and that I needed to get back to doing the work that connects me with real human beings in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that happens when you're working in a big corporation is you can't always you cannot always see the impact of your work. And now I can see it and feel it uh, when I make those connections. And then I can also see how it has ripple effects mm-hmm. out in the community. And I'm I'm not saying that to say that mine is the only work that has the ripple effects. So for instance, when we work with Fast Pitch and I'm part of the team here with mm-hmm. Winnipeg Foundation and with Dave McLeod, and then we, you know, I bump into people later and they go, oh, you know, um, uh, that story that I developed became the core for a strategic plan for us, or that story uh, became part of a successful funding application, or I'm now better able to ask people to join me. I mean, that is like seeing the ripple effects of that of that work and really being a part of the community fabric that that's huge for me i i couldn't be happier that's the dream yeah is are you working your dream job right now is this the dream absolutely would you have said that about previous careers i would say there was always points in those previous previous careers where i was working in my dream job 
loved being a musician. There were things I got to do at CBC that I would never have been able to do anywhere else. Um, but but I would say I'd go back to that even now because I because I'm freelancing and I have an opportunity to work with people and I have an opportunity to say no when mm. I don't feel the work's going to have impact. Mm -hmm. Is I still use that measure all the time. And when I was talking to someone else today who's feeling overwhelmed by their work in community and their work as a writer, I, and I reminded them, I, I said, you need to give what you have. If you give of something that you don't have, it doesn't matter if the world really needs that. It's not your calling to give that. So I still measure that sense of joy. And I use the word joy, not happiness, because mm -hmm. it's not the work that's like comes easy necessarily, but it's that work where I can feel that impact. Uh, so if I don't have something to offer to a client, I want to be able to say, no, this is not for me. And if I do, then I know that we're together going to make an impact. Help me understand what it means to um, give something that you don't have. Or like give something you're not, or I'm not sure if that's the exact words that you right. use, but when you said someone was a little bit frustrated because they, like, how, how can you give something that you don't yourself own? Or what did you mean by I that? I think people do it all the time when. Like make promises they can't keep no. or. No, sometimes we, we take on jobs that we think really need to get done because, and, and we go, well, this job needs to get done okay. or this is good work. But is it our good work would be the question. So I grew up Mennonite in a Mennonite community uh, where there is a strong community ethic, a strong ethic about giving back, and which I really, really love. Uh, and and has I've, pulled, I've tried to pull that thread through my life. It's a value that I have. But there was also a strong sense of you need to do something good that is of service. So my first career, I, I became an occupational therapist. What I wanted to do was be a singer-songwriter. But I thought, what good is that in the world? Mm. What good is that? It's not serving. Because in the Mennonite community, if you wanted to serve music, then, then you, you, you become a choir director. Right. So, so I, I had that first career as an occupational therapist. I did really well at school because I actually love, I love physiology. I like biology, neurology. I love, loved it. I got out and I went, like, I really hate hospitals. Mm. love people uh, but this is not my work mm -hmm. so I had that was the first time I had the guts to take the work I wanted and then as a singer songwriter I could go what use is this in the world coming from a Mennonite community where the arts are not exactly upheld unless it's church music what use is this in mm. the world so beginning to understand and listen that um it was mine to give. Mm -hmm. And when, and when the thread, oh, I call it the thread, when the thread was really strong in that work was when it was honestly mine to give and, and, uh, and it, and it moved people. Yeah. Did you, at what point did you recognize the deep need for music in the world? Or did you always have that? I think I always knew yeah. that. You just kind of denied the fact that it was worthy of, of your, um, that the music that I wanted Pursuit? to make as a singer-songwriter oh, okay. in the Like that particular world. genre almost? Yeah. Okay. Whereas when I grew up, the music was choir music mm -hmm. and religious music. Yeah. Interesting. Was there any other um, sort of internal strife that, that led to um, the decisions that you made as far as careers were concerned? Oh, God, of course. Yeah. I guess there <laughs> That's was. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah, true. So, um, uh... 
I hopefully that I, and I, I explained well what I meant about what is mine to give. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's good work here at 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 the Winnipeg uh, Foundation. Absolutely. Um, it, and and I could go, oh, that's good work. I should be doing that, but it's not necessarily my work to do. Got you. So there needs to be, yeah. yeah and the only way meet, meet, meet it, meet yeah. the work halfway. Almost, yeah. kind of. And Parker Palmer, who is a mentor of mine through books, um, would say that burnout happens with people when, uh, when you're, when you've decided what work is good and then go, I'm going to do that as opposed to listening what mm -hmm. your life has to tell you. So let your life speak and then the work will come. Yeah, because then it would just feel your like your wheels are spinning if you're not getting personal um, like satisfaction from the work as well. And then you're not getting fed, which means eventually it will be depleted. Yeah, creativity seems like a pretty important aspect of your yep. life. Even even still, um, I heard somewhere that oh, from, I think from Jen or Nicole that your um, husband makes guitars, like custom guitars. Yep. That that is incredible artisan creativity. How important is sort of staying creative to your daily life? Do you still have creative outlets? Um, my work is incredibly creative. So when somebody comes to me, and I'll go back to that nonprofit where I did the story harvest, when somebody comes to me and goes, we want to, um, we want to have a better connection uh, with our core values, and we'd like, and, and, and my staff said it needed to be something interesting and, and, and fun. So uh, I, I thought I'd, I'd ask you. Right. So they don't even know really what they're asking for at that no. point. And then I'm thinking, what what would work? And in the process, especially around anything where you're doing a facilitation or a story harvest or um, something where you're using a creative process, you actually don't know what the next step's going to be. Huh. So that is constantly keeping me on my toes. Whenever I work with a group and I do training, I'm watching the group. I'm looking at what's working and what's not. And I might pull something else out. Um People don't hire me to train or facilitate. They hire me because there's a pain point mm -hmm. or they need something done. So the first creative part is going, what am I really answering? What problem is getting solved here? What problems is getting solved? Am I the one to solve it? And then if so, then, then it's not a cookie cutter thing. So my work is creative every single day. And then I get to work with stories. So I'm right. listening for that, for listening for that the little time light bulb moment where you're like yeah. that's that's the yeah. that's the crux or that's the moment um there's so many different ways to tell a story how do you find out which method and which technique to use based on every every single situation is different so how do you decide which technique and which method to use when it comes to just hearing someone's personal story or a brand story or an organization's core value stories like at what point do you choose which particular um lane to drive down I, it depends. It depends what people are asking me to do. But at the core of my work is giving people the skills and the knowledge to engage in purposeful storytelling. So mm. I would go, what is your purpose in telling the story? And then let's go back and use, use some basic skills and, st and start to look at how we can build that story and tell that story. Gotcha. So, so when I work on a larger level with organizations and with leadership, um, I draw heavily on the work of Marshall Gantz, who is a uh, social organizer and um, teaches leadership uh, at uh, the Kennedy School of Leadership in the States. Um, but his, his approach to social organizing is that we are all leaders. And as a leader, you have to have a public story. 
You need to offer up to people who you are and why you serve. You need to be able to, to uh, key into and share the stories that bond you together. And then you need to be able to turn out and call others to action. That is how we're going to create change in the world, whether that's a small change or whether that's a campaign for environmental change or a campaign or a, a movement to end poverty here in Winnipeg. So I'm perhaps selfishly applying this to myself. And why am I finding it so hard to figure out my personal story, which then could be, become my... Like, why do, why do people find it so hard to tell their personal stories? Do you think they do? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So and why? one of the things that I said earlier was it's really important to be able to tell your own so that you understand what it means to ask somebody else for theirs. Mm -hmm. It takes... It, it's risky and we forget how risky it is when we ask other people questions. Sometimes, I'm not saying mm -hmm. all of us forget. So first of all, there, there, there's a risk because a really good story sits, you, it's not raw. A really good story that's told for a purpose is not raw and it's not canned. So we don't like the politician story. Mm -hmm. And also in a moment, there's nothing wrong with a raw story. But it's it, what what happens when we tell a story that's too raw is is the listener is taking care of us and is worried about us as opposed to focusing on the purpose of the story. So somewhere in between there is an authentic story. And that's uh, so we want a story that uh, when something's authentic, it means it has to show a little bit about who you are, which means you have to be a little vulnerable, mm -hmm. not asking you to be really raw, but you got to be a little vulnerable. So the basic core of a story is a person faces a challenge. Mm -hmm. They make a choice and they land somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know that from the work yep. that you do. That's Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. That's Cinderella. That's uh, uh, Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, and, and, and when you put yourself, and when I say, so now you're the main character in the story, and I want you to think about a time that you faced a big challenge and you didn't know how to move forward, but you had the courage to make a choice and land somewhere. What happens when we, when we start mm -hmm. to call that story out is, is you're going to find out a way to express your values. Hmm. Right. And, and, and you know that a story takes you to a place. So when you take us to that place of vulnerability, that involves vulnerability because you, didn't, you don't know the right way forward, but right. you had to make a choice. That's and the hard part. you had the courage. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you have to reflect upon that and then tell it to others, you begin to get that connection back really viscerally to what your values are mm -hmm. and then how you can be able to share those values with others. I'm fortunate. I think that the word vulnerability is coming up in a lot of conversations I've been having lately, just with life things and career things and all of the above. But I think I've, I've yet to hear it stated in that way that when you're vulnerable you don't know what the outcome of the exercise or of, of the of the process is going to be and that's what that's the crux of the fear I think mm -hmm. is like you don't know where you're going and when you're reflecting back on that story so if you and I were working together I'd go like think about a time when you faced a challenge you weren't sure how to move forward but you found the courage so that's your choice which means you have agency in the story and where did you land So again, I'm not mm. going to ask you to tell tell that that particular story, but 
but but you know the ending to that story but when we can even tell it back to ourselves it's a powerful thing because you're going to learn something about yourself but the ending in this case isn't what happened it's it's uh, what you learned or who you became yeah. or what value no you endings. have. There's only outcomes. There's only mm. landings because your story's not over yet. <laughs> right. And an organization the same way. Their story's not over, but you can come to a landing place. And the cool thing about story and why uh, I, I when I teach story for leadership, I'm going, you, you need to tell your own story. I go, oh, my story's not important. I go, mm. if people don't know who you are, why should they trust you? So offering right. up your story is making that initial that initial connection. But the other thing that story has is it allows you to get messy in the middle and then land somewhere, mm -hmm. which means you can deal with the problem in your story. You can, not everything needs to be resolved, uh, but you've still created movement and change. In working with different generations, do you find a difference in how they approach personal stories or apprehension to do so? Like if you work with someone from the youth side of things are they better worse at it more scared less scared i actually think it just totally it's depends universal. on the context mm -hmm. when i work with people who've come and that are already interested they're ready mm. and they may there may be surprises and and you know uh in in what they find as they tell that story but they're ready to right. work so i don't think it's a generational thing no cool what is the what are what is the best moment when you when you get to work with these organizations, like what's the, what's the, what's the emotion you're chasing? Is it when someone finally comes to an epiphany or is it just that the whole process of discovery, what moment are you really hoping to achieve on, on a day-to-day -day basis? I think, I think everybody's aha is probably in a different spot. Oh, like, you know, the best moment is when they get their aha and they have one, even one thing that they can go out and do differently. So, um, I taught a storytelling for advocacy, uh, workshop for, uh, through Sednet Canadian okay, yeah. uh, community economic development here in Winnipeg. And, uh, one of the women who came, uh, works for an amazing organization called, um, uh, returning to spirit. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you go, Familiar. oh yeah. Most people go, what? Because they are a small organization doing amazing and deep reconciliation work. Mm -hmm but not a lot of people know them. So she came to the advocacy workshop to be able to tell their story better. So story for advocacy, what I was teaching is being able to use your own experience to advocate on behalf of a cause or behalf of an organization. So she learned during a morning workshop how to use her own experience within the deep work they do and how it transformed her life and be able to use that experience as a way to advocate for people coming to work with um with her organization cool okay and so there, the moment for me that stands out um is when she came to me after after trying it out because i had everyone in triads telling mm -hmm. stories and she said for the very first time when i told that story someone said i would sign up for that workshop because she was able to talk about very deep and complex work and bring it down to in a really a, not simple form but in fairly short terms digestible but using her own experience and when we use our own experience in purposeful storytelling like that the person she's telling it to began to see oh that could happen to me or i was like that or you you're building connection in order to call people to join you and that 
goes back to vulnerability. Showing vulnerability almost disarms someone. They're like, oh, this person's being vulnerable with me. I'm willing to open my mind and heart to what they're saying. And then you're more willing to listen, even if it's something that you hadn't considered in the past or even something that you're on the complete other side of the fence when it comes to that. I'm very intrigued by the fact that these aha moments or these light bulb moments aren't at the same point in the process for everyone. Right. That's very interesting. Like, give me, I think that's an example. So give me an example of someone who like got their aha moment when they were vulnerable or, you you know, like I'm interested in hearing a specific moment where you, you saw someone have that moment, but didn't, no one's ever had their aha moment at that point before or something like that. Can you think of one? So you want the vulnerability one, huh? Well, that one seems to be the one that would be most common, I think. Like once you finally are able to like break down your internal barriers and show vulnerability, that would be a profound like, holy cow, this is actually working. But are there different points? At what other points in the process do people have that moment? For some people, the aha moment is when they understand that when they, they can tell a small story that carries a complexity and carries weight for them to zoom out to a bigger story. So mm. that, that language of zoom in and zoom out, which you'll know as a video yeah. maker. So uh, uh, often when I begin to work with people, they don't trust the fact that, but I need to tell them all this stuff first so they understand the impact of our work. And I'm going, no, you're going to try. What you're going to try is you're going to use one character. And that character is somebody who's been impacted by the work of the organization. They are the star. They are the star. It's, you, you, Winnipeg Foundation, you, you guys do the storytelling really well. Right. And you're going to talk about who they are as a whole person, what challenge they have, and the choice they made to come through your doors. Then when your organization comes in, you are in partnership with that person. Mm-hmm. And you're helping them land in a spot, and you're showing that change. And the aha for some people, because it's a very respectful way to tell story. I'm no longer... Here's our organization. We're helping people. Right. It's like here, here is uh, here's Joyce. Mm-hmm. She's facing this unique set of challenges. She had the guts to walk through our doors. To and 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 here is what how we work together, and then where we land. So you've changed the power structure. You've changed the playing field. But within that individual story, now you can go, so that's how we helped Joyce, or that's how we worked with Joyce. We have 300 women like Joyce. Now you you ripple out. That's That's the the zoom zoom out. out. What issues that are currently, that we're currently facing in society, do you think could most benefit or, or need to be telling better stories for people to understand the gravity of, of certain situations or certain causes? Hands down environmental. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I on my way over here and uh, I was on my bike and uh, I was on Main Street, which I didn't really want to be on, but because of the construction you have oh, outside yes. of here, I had to, I had to reroute. And this, this uh, um, guy with big beard in a van, he yells at his window, he goes, Keep on biking. You're saving Canada. And I was at that moment, I wanted to go, can we, can we have a little conversation right now? Because I want to know what's behind that, that story. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but um, we have to, we, uh, um, those people who are working within that movement and those of us who, who feel as strongly that we are really in a crisis need to be able to tell a story that welcomes in 
um, and includes and invites in people who are currently losing work because they work in the oil fields. Right. It needs to include people who, for many reasons, uh, can't compost and um, can't live as green because they have to run generators to mm. in order to to heat their house in the winter. Um, it needs to, we need to find a story that people can join us in. Uh, so uh, that's a story that bridges. Mm -hmm. So, so um, the, uh, a powerful thing that story has is to create an empathetic bridge between people. It's a huge, huge task. And uh, and again, story is not the the Be whole thing. All, yeah. But uh, if you ask me where it's urgently needed, it, it's needed wherever there's really big gaps. So in our city, that includes the gap between settlers, indigenous people, and and newcomers mm -hmm. as well. For sure. We need to bridge that gap. Um, and between those who are struggling uh, with great barriers to the poverty and, and those who um, who are sure that if, if people just worked harder, they would be able to lift themselves out. Right. So wherever there's those gaps, story is one tool that we can use to go, we're not that much different than each other. So story is a tool. It's a... It's a double-edged sword though you could use story to potentially tell a story that maybe goes in the other direction um how important is it to like do you ever editorialize is the wrong word but do you ever um ensure a sort of good-natured or positive spin on stories or do you just say truth is the most important and that's where we need to land is truth paramount or is is um, like societal good paramount? This story is true and some of it even happened was a joke my friend used <laughs> to tell me. That's but perfect. I would say more that, uh, that um, I mean, truth is, that, that's a biggie, but it's, it's how you frame the story and what you want to use it for. So I, I work with people um, who I don't take every contract and I actually don't, pursue every contract I could do with story. Um, I actually am working, uh, I, I choose to work with organizations that I feel there are connected values. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're nonprofits because I work with businesses, I work with entrepreneurs, but there has to be some kind of a value base that we share. I'm not yeah. going to work with you otherwise. Right. Because that that whole joy thing is is like my, my alarm's going to go off. So I don't run into that as much. But yeah, any tool, any communication tool can be used for many, many different right. things. So as long, yeah, as long as values align, then you know you can be on the same page. And yeah, how important uh, is volunteerism and and all the work that you do, sort of pro bono work and and volunteer work and board work, um, to bridging the gap bet between um, areas of our society that need additional help and can't necessarily afford it. You mean the work that I do as a volunteer? Uh, well, how or, important is it in general? And just, I'm assuming it's one of your values is, yeah. is volunteerism and, and, and work doing that kind of work. So why is that important and how important ought it be to just general society? Because I work a lot with nonprofits and I work with boards who are all volunteers and I'm on a couple of boards. So I understand that volunteer position as well. Um, I'm beginning to understand how much of our city and the vibrancy of it is built on volunteers. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's hugely important that, that, um, you know, I, I, my, I grew up in a generation, my parents 
tithed. So 10% of their income went to the church. Wow. I mean, that's like, that's not, that, that's not that uncommon. And that's not just a Mennonite thing. That's in many different religions. Mm-hmm. You take a certain amount of your money. I feel like in our secular, more secular society, that we could think about tithing our time. Interesting. And, um, and give 10% of our time mm-hmm. as volunteers because, um, uh, because not all the work's going to get done through paid work. Yeah. Um, and, and there is a certain um, connection that gets built when you're doing it uh, for passion. And what's really cool for anyone out there who might hear this, who's thinking about volunteer work, what I feel it does for me is it reminds me about the reason why I'm working. So I don't like, I'm, and maybe I have this privilege because I'm self-employed, but I look at all my work and some of it I get paid for. Some of it I'm on a sliding scale, a little bits per bono, and I do volunteer work. It's all my work. Mm. And if we can start thinking about the work that we're called to do in this world, and great, I get paid enough for some of it to take care right. of. Uh, but that work is no less valuable for because sure. I'm not paid for it. Well, it goes back to the deep need and the deep desire of, yeah. and and trying to align yeah. those. Cool. Um, at the end of our time together, I know that you were a little apprehensive about these questions, but we have seven quick questions called the just, oh my God. just because seven, okay. se- seven quick questions called just because where I'm just going to ask you to off the top of your head. Think you're about gonna it. Only use the good ones. Only use the good. What do you mean? Only... Well, like you're going to ask me seven questions and then the ones that have really good answers you're going to use. I promise you they'll all be good answers. You've never given me a bad answer yet. Question one, what is the first cause that you actually remember caring about? Uh, Definitely, I went on a peace march for the first time when I was 20. And that would have been the first cause that I chose on my own as being really important, world peace. How do you think we're doing when it comes to world peace? Well, that's another big one, just right up there with the environment. (laughs) Yeah. How can can a story um, tackle such a huge problem? A story can tackle a big problem because um, it reminds us that one person can make a difference. And when we make that connection and and then we can expand on that, it's all we've got, really. Mm. It reminds it, this is what we've got, our own choice and our own agency. Yeah, then I guess big problems like war, famine, poverty, if you if you see one, this is how my mind works. If you see one example of something and that humanizes it and, and gives it a soul, gives the problem a soul and a face, as mm-hmm. opposed to just a big amorphous issue that we can't possibly figure out how to tackle, then you can understand one person can be saved. And then that's how you just scale it up, basically scale that problem. Yeah. Up. I mean, easier <laughs> said than done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, question number two, if money, politics and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of the current cause that you that you care most about? So if you just had a magic genie that could snap his or her fingers, what would you do? If money politics and logistics were no issue at all so you could just create anything in support of your cause what would you do so you didn't ask me what my cause was yet what is your cause (laughs) i was thinking about that on the way over here on my bike um 
I would, I was thinking that I, I have two uh, focuses in my volunteer work. One of them is with Girls Rock Winnipeg, which is um, using rock music to bring confidence to uh, young girls, transgender, non-binary, and LGBTQ youth. Very cool. Um, and the other one is the West Central Women's Resource Center, which is serving the needs of many women in the downtown. So, so there's a thread there. There's a sure. thread. Yeah. There's a thread. Um, so if, if, uh, you know, the thing that comes to mind and it, and it's more around the, 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 the West central and the work that I've done with other organizing, I, I would go like, let's create really, uh, affordable mixed housing and, and as the basis for building better communities. I know that's really, no, that's good. That's, that's okay. Uh, well, I think that, I feel like uh, I'm on a game show. No, yeah. It, it, it speaks to what a lot like if you build someone a base to sort yeah. of stand on how that will just help them out in all aspects of life yeah, yeah huge number three uh what's the biggest misunderstanding and or stigma about the causes that you care about um that people have chosen their circumstances probably as opposed to uh there there are intergenerational and systemic barriers that make their choices very narrow. And I think that goes across many different issues yeah. that people are dealing yeah. with for sure. Yeah, that's well said. Um, how number four, how do you know when it's time to throw in the towel? Have you ever thrown in the towel? And if so It's in question four. Yep. <laughs> halfway there. Over halfway there. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Um, I've, uh, I've worked with a number of organizations where I went into, um, in, into that contract feeling like I, I'm very excited about the impact that could be made in, within an organization. And then, um, and then realizing at some point, sometimes putting in extra hours to make sure that that impact happens, realizing at some point that there's things beyond me that need to change mm. in order for the work to really have impact. So personally, that's, I'm beginning to realize that's the moment that I need to, I wouldn't call it throw in the towel, but go, my work's done and I'm here if you need me. Mm -hmm. At the, at that point, do you say, here's what maybe needs to get done before I can help you? Yep. Yeah. And then just mm -hmm. move from, move on from there. Awesome. Um, it's question not always that easy to say that. Right. For yep. sure. Especially when there's like, yeah, systemic problems that are hard to weed out maybe. Um, question five, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? You've had a, quite a few nuggets that you've um, dropped on us already, but uh, if you could think of one. Well, I would go back to that, um, that uh, I referred to Parker Palmer, who's a really wise teacher um, and a great writer. Um, and his advice to uh, listen to your life and let your life speak and be guided by that. What age did you start doing that? Well, it's more like I get that and then I lose it and I mm. get that and I lose it. But I would say it would be my early 20s when I started to define who I was versus the community that I came from. That's great advice. Uh, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could speak with her right now? Where do you think of these questions? <laughs> I don't know. I think we kind of brainstorm them as a team and then I get Sonny, did you have anything to do with that question? <laughs> he helped. He definitely, he's to blame. It was all Sonny. 
<sighs> I would probably say to my 10-year-old self, the same thing that I have said to, um, let me tell you a little story. Please. About uh, my 23-year-old son who a few months ago was going through an existential crisis because all his friends were graduating from university. And he'd spent his four and a half years since high school traveling the world, been to 20 countries, adventured, it, it, adventure traveling, um, playing ultimate, doing these amazing things. And he goes, Mom, like, I feel like I should get a job like other people and have this career. And, you know, my parents are no help because they keep saying, just follow just your heart. <laughs> So, uh, what I said to Sam and what I would say to my 10 year old self is it's not a straight line. Um, and you just got to keep listening and see what ways open. And it's actually not the easiest way to live, but it's a deeply satisfying way to live. It'd be nice if that was the, uh, that was the, the path that we were taught. Cause I think we're what, I don't know if they still do it today, but I remember kindergarten. What do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. And you're already supposed to pick a pick a yep. lane and then drive down it. And I think, yeah, some of the best people that I know are the ones who didn't pick a lane and just let the let things drive yeah. at them and then decided yeah. where to go from there. I think the important thing to know is that following your heart doesn't mean doing just anything you want. And it's not a self-centered thing. Uh, from my belief is that I believe all of us are here on this earth for a purpose. So you're listening for that. And when you find that and you're giving what is of yourself is also that place of, of joy. So it's not a selfish following your heart. It's listening to what do I have to give? Because that's also what I'm going to be getting. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Last question, maybe the hardest one. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, for being a spark for uh, being a catalyst. Just and, like story has been, a yes, catalyst. In some small way, being a spark or a catalyst for, for other people to do the good work that they're doing. I think it's pretty obvious that that's what you're currently doing, so I would imagine it's going to be what you're remembered for. I'll remember you for that, I think. Thank definitely. you. Thank you for uh, doing the podcast, Kate Friesen. Um, this was awesome. You're always a delight to talk to, and I really thank you for spending the time with us today and sharing your wisdom and, and uh, allowing me to ask you some crazy questions. Great. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks again to Kate Friesen for the wonderful conversation. Uh, Kate gave me a lot to think about when it comes to my own personal story and feeling vulnerable and going to that place and just finding your calling. Um, I think what she had to say about that is really insightful and I'm glad for the opportunity to get to talk with her and, and with everyone that we've had on, on the podcast so far, but Kate especially. She's been such a wonderful inspiration to me and uh, it was really cool to get to talk to her for, for such a long time. If you're part of an organization that could benefit from Kate's help or you like what you heard, you can visit her website. It's thestorysource.ca, all one word, thestorysource.ca, uh, and just see if it would be a right fit for you. Kate's an incredible person and a great resource for any business or nonprofit that's looking to better tell their story. All music on the Because and Effect podcast was composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can find out more of his music at trentonburton.com. 
The cause and effect, as I mentioned, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, with special thank you to Robert Zirk, Sonny Promolo, and Jeremy Morantz for production assistance on today's episode. I'm Nolan Bicknell. You can find me at Nolan Bicknell on all social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can follow the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN on Instagram and Twitter and search the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. Thank you very much for tuning in. Goodbye. We'll see you next week. And remember, just keep swimming. Bye-bye. <laughs>